1: Hi everyone and welcome to episode 66 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Adam and I'm joined by Jill as always. Jill, how are you doing today?
2: I'm good. How are you?
1: I'm doing great. Do you want to tell everyone what this episode is all about?
2: Sure. I got to interview Marissa Meyer. Yeah, you did. (laughs) Who uh, wrote The Lunar Chronicles Mm -hmm. and she has a new book out called Heartless, which is a uh, story about the Queen of Hearts from um, how she basically became the Queen of Hearts before Alice showed up.
1: (laughs) I love that idea of taking a well-known story, and a lot of people will do this. They'll take, they'll do either like fairy tale retellings, or they'll do what happened after the book ended. I like that she went the other way around and decided to go with what happened before the book even started. That's a unique take on it. Agreed. And. You had a few other conversations with her, right, about some November stuff. Yeah, it's and... funny
2: when I said when I said, and you'll hear it in the episode. But I go, it's November. She knew exactly where I was going with that. <laughs> uh, yeah, we talk about Nano Though our listeners who listened to our episode a couple weeks ago about books that came out of Nano or National Novel Writing Month mm-hmm. uh, may remember that I mentioned the Lunar Chronicles. And right. We, so of course I had to ask her about uh, all of that and that experience
1: and her the amount of. And again, you'll t- she'll talk about this, but the amount of words she wrote in an anagramo is just mind blowing. It's it, ridiculous. I
2: still can't really fathom that. Uh, yeah, yeah.
1: This actually worked out perfectly. I wasn't able to be there for this one, but I, jo- I jokingly told you before, like I just would have gotten in the way. You, you two were perfect. I loved listening to this one so much.
2: <laughs> yeah, but, she was fun.
1: So, um, how can people get a hold of us if they have any questions or feedback or any of that good stuff?
2: They can find us on Facebook and Twitter, and email us at feedback at overdrive dot com.
1: Yes, they can. If you go to Overdrive.com as well, you'll see a bunch of lists of content that we have that you'll enjoy. We update our professional book nerds reading list every single week. Uh, Really excited for the next couple of weeks worth of episodes. I think people will really enjoy them. We have a sale for our librarians going on in our marketplace called The Holiday Spectacular. And as a part of it, for the first time ever, since we didn't have a podcast last year, (laughs) uh, we're doing interviews with a lot of the authors who will be featured. So that'll be a lot of fun. And then we're going to go through uh, all of our favorite books over the past year and some stuff to prep for the holidays. So a lot of good stuff coming up in the next couple of months we will not be abandoning people during the holidays
2: no of course not yeah so
1: figure everyone else has time off usually during this time of year it'd be good to give them podcasts to listen to
2: agreed
1: anything else that people should know about before we let them enjoy this interview
2: i don't think so
1: i don't think so either i just want to check to make <laughs> sure all right well i hope you all enjoyed this episode of the professional book nerds podcast <laughs>
2: Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. This is Jill. I'm flying solo today. Adam is not able to join us, but with me today I have Marissa Meyer, the USA Today, a New York Times bestselling author of the young adult series The Lunar Chronicles. Her latest book, Heartless, was released uh, this week. Welcome to the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. Thank you for having me. So tell us about your newest book, Heartless.
3: Heartless is a prequel to Lewis Carroll's Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, telling the as yet untold story of the Queen of Hearts uh, and how she actually started out life as a fairly normal teenage girl. Um, She was a, a lady in the courts of Wonderland, and she wants to be a baker. She has this fantasy. She loves to bake, and she has this fantasy of opening the best bakery in the kingdom. Uh, unfortunately, her parents have much different ideas. They expect her to marry very well, as a young lady is expected to. Um, in particular, there's a rumor going around that uh, the king himself might have an interest in Catherine, oh. which makes her mother very, very happy, <laughs> <Of course. laughs> but Catherine less so. Um, and so throughout the story, she she finds herself falling in love um, with somebody who is not the king, which causes a lot of, of chaos and turmoil. Um, and there's kind of a secret courtship, and there's a monster. You know, the Jabberwock might show up at some point, um, and lots and lots of Lewis Carroll references that were a lot of fun.
2: Love it. Um, so between this and then, of course, the Lunar Chronicles, what is it about retellings that appeals to you so much?
3: Um you know I grew up with fairy tales and I I loved the the old classic stories when I was growing up um I was introduced to uh, the original version of The Little Mermaid when I was five, uh, not long after I'd seen the Disney movie. Yes. (laughs) Uh, And, of course, I found it devastating because it's nothing at all like the Disney movie. Um, And I was horrified, but then it also made me really curious to know, you know, okay, well, what else is Disney not telling me? Yeah. Um, And I felt like there must be more to these stories. And so that kicked off an interest in fairy tales, uh, that really continues to this day. And then when I was a teenager, I started reading fairy tale retellings. Um, and I loved the idea that you could take this beloved story that everybody knows, but uh, give it a new twist, turn it on its head somehow. Um, and so that's something that I've, I've tried to do as well. Do you have any fairy tale characters that you want to write about and haven't yet? Um, one idea, I'm not actively working on this, but I have an idea for a contemporary horror retelling of Bluebeard, oh, um, which is, quote-unquote, a fairy tale, but it's really the story about a serial killer. Yes. Um, so it's, like, as dark as it gets, <laughs> uh, and I, I think that there's a lot that could be done with it.
2: That sounds actually... I would read that, so Thank I highly suggest it's, you go it's, ahead. It's <laughs> in the back of my head. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Um, what would you consider the most underrated fairy tale?
3: Hmm... Um, good question. I I know I I don't know if it's underrated. I love the story of Rumpelstiltskin. Okay. Um I think I mean it's it's not on the top tier of fairy tales. Um you know, it's not a Cinderella, it's not a Snow White. Um but I think it's more well known than a lot of of old stories. Um but I I love it. I think there's a lot of like, for me personally, I think I view it differently than a lot of casual readers. Um, you know, to me, the villain is—it doesn't seem like Rumpelstiltskin. To me, the villain seems like the king.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, and so that's that's another one that I think maybe I'll have to try to take a stab at someday. Sounds good.
2: So what is your writing process like? Are you someone who sort of has a word count that you set each
3: day? Do you just sort of write when you have ideas? Um, it varies as to what point of the process I'm at. Uh, I like to, I always start with an outline. Um, I'm, I'm definitely a planner. And when I'm writing my first draft of the book, um, I like to get that draft out as quickly as possible um, to the point where it's not uncommon for me to write um, 6,000 plus words a day um, when I'm writing that very first draft. Um, However, those first drafts tend to be really, really messy um, because it's really just me exploring the world and getting as many ideas out as I can. And then when it comes to revisions, it's like, okay, well, now this is a mess. Let's see, you know, what's working and what's not and how we can fix it. Uh, So revision tends to go much slower. Um, And for that, I'll, I'll aim to revise a chapter a day, but that doesn't always happen. Um, And I usually go through anywhere from two to four revision rounds, um, and then an additional one or two editing and polishing rounds.
2: Okay. Um, I know when you were describing Heartless, you mentioned that there were a lot of Lewis Carroll references. Did you do a lot of research before writing the book?
3: I did. So I read, um, you know, Alice, and uh, also Through the Looking Glass. Um, And I read the annotated version, um, which is this really wonderful book where there's the little side notes throughout the story um, really well researched indicating um, as far as we can tell you know what might Lewis Carroll have been referencing here um, what's the, the joke that maybe our modern audiences aren't picking up on um, and then I, I also researched you know Victorian England and customs and traditions and um, terminology and things like that uh, in, in an effort to, to capture as much of that same vibe as I could okay sounds good
2: um, you mentioned that you usually start with an outline. When you did the Lunar Chronicles, did you know that you were going to have all of these? Like, there was going to be a, a Red Riding Hood, there was going to be a wolf. Did you know all that when you went into it?
3: I did. Okay, uh, I had. I knew from really, really early on that it was going to be four books. I knew which fairy tale each book was going to be based off of, and I, I had a relatively good idea about how. Uh, each of the characters was going to come into the story and how uh, each of their story arcs was going to resolve. Um, I knew how it was going to end. Um, so I actually, at one point, had um, very small, minimal outlines completed for each of the books, um, even before I started writing. So. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're in the middle of November, yeah, and it is National National no- Novel
2: Writing Month. And so I can't not Christ. bring this up. I know. We actually we did a podcast episode a couple of weeks ago where we did some books that came out of National Novel yeah. Writing Month, and I, of course, mentioned yours. Um, so would you sort of mind sharing your experience about <laughs> National
3: Novel Writing Month? Uh, I love NaNoWriMo. I had a really crazy experience. Um my first three books, Cinder, Scarlet, and Crest, were all NaNoWriMo novels, um, but they actually all came out of one okay. Um There had been this contest being hosted um, in Seattle where one of the the main, I don't know, coordinators um, of NanoRiMo in Seattle somehow had a connection to a dire- director of an upcoming season of Star Trek. Um, And they had this contest that the Seattle area writer who wrote the most words that year would win a walk-on role in an episode of Star Trek. Okay. And I'm a big nerd, and I come from a family of nerds, and so I was determined to win this contest. Um, And I ended up writing just over 150,000 words. What? Um, I know, which is, of course, three times what you're expected to. I still didn't win. I came in third place. Um, but it's okay because they ended up—they never ended up making that season of Star Trek. So All I was right. like, "Well, I got a book out of the deal."
2: Uh, yeah, giving <laughs> away
3: those two—I yeah. think you got the better yeah. end. <laughs> um, so, but it really helped push me much farther than I thought beforehand that I could push myself. Um, and at the end of it, I had you know these drafts of these three books, um, and you know a really solid idea of what I wanted the series to be. Not to say that they were good. They were awful, of course. Um, but it gave me something to work with and really motivated me to to keep pursuing this series idea and try to get it published. Do you still ever participate in nano writing? I do, yeah. So my uh my other novel, Ferris, was a nano novel, as was Heartless. Oh. Um yeah, so I've I've done it with almost every book that I've written started life as a nano novel. Uh, this year, I'm not doing it, and I'm really, really busy. sad. I know. I am on book tour, and I'm also stuck in revisions for my next book that comes out next fall, so I couldn't swing it this year. I couldn't.
2: That's unfortunate. Do you participate in sort of the community aspect of it? Like
3: A little bit. Um, not as much as I wish that I could. Uh, you know, it's hard enough this time of year with a new book out. It's hard enough even just keeping up with my own Twitter feed or my own Facebook feed. Um, but I, I do I know the people who run NanoRIMO fairly well. Um so like last year I got to be a guest at their night of writing dangerously, which was so much fun. Um and then just being on the social networks trying to encourage people on as much as I can. Yeah.
2: Do you have any tips for anyone? I mean we're like they're in the middle of NanoRimo right now.
3: <laughs> it is, we're like right
2: We're right, right in the in middle. The middle. <laughs>
3: um, I you know, the same thing that I tell someone whether they're doing nano or just working on that first draft Mm -hmm. any time of year, um, is really to continuously remind yourself that it doesn't have to be perfect right now. It doesn't even have to be good right now. Um, You can't revise a blank page. You can't edit a blank page. Um, Just get it written. Get something down on paper and know that even if it's terrible, you can come back and fix it.
2: That's good advice. For everybody, I think. <laughs> I think I, that's a very overwhelming part. I've tried to do nano several times, I'm just... Because I yeah. think I have it in my head that it has to be perfect. Yeah, and, and it's, it's hard. And it's, it hard. you
3: know, you'll, that first draft will never be perfect. Right. Um, so the, the sooner you can turn that voice off and just get something written then the better. Yeah,
2: for sure. Yeah,
3: but even as a professional writer, I have to tell myself that all the time <laughs> still. So, you know, I think we we just naturally have that that thought where you can see the story in your head You just want it to come out correctly on paper, and somehow it never works out that way. No, it
2: does not. (laughs) So you have The Lunar Chronicles, which is this series, and then you switch to Heartless, which is a standalone. Was that a difficult transition to make? No,
3: not at all. (laughs) Um, No, right? Yes, writing Heartless, uh, it was really a breath of fresh air. Um, After The Lunar Chronicles, I actually wrote Heartless kind of in the middle of writing The Lunar Chronicles because I needed a break um, from... You know, whereas in the Lunar Chronicles, uh, the story is so big and so complex. And, you know, at one point in winter, I think we get up to maybe 11 point of view characters Mm -hmm. and there's all of these different subplots and wars and revolutions and plagues and, you know, just a lot going on. And I really needed a chance to to step back and clear my mind a little bit uh, and work on something that was simpler and has just one main character and one love story. Um, and at the end it is resolved, there is an ending, <laughs> you know, um, and so it was, it was kind of a, a nice palate cleanser. Okay.
2: So that being said, you plan on writing a series? I oh like yeah. Okay.
3: definitely. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am working on a new trilogy oh. right now. Um, so that's the, the one, the first one will be out next fall. It doesn't have a title yet. We're, we're still waiting on that. Um, but it is about teenage superheroes. <gasps> I like it. Thank you. Me too. I love
2: that superhero That sounds stories. fun. So is this more original or is it pulling from anything?
3: Uh, Kind of a mix of both. It's okay. all original characters, my own made-up superheroes. Um, but definitely trying to work in some subtle references to um, some of the classics, Batman, Superman, um, even a little bit of Sailor Moon and Tuxedo Mask, which was my favorite superhero story growing <laughs> up. You know, little hints of X-Men and the Avengers, you know, just trying to speak to the fandom, which, of course, I am a part of as sure. much as anything. You used to write Sailor Moon fan I wrote Sailor Moon fan fiction for ages. <laughs> it's a really, really big part of my life. I love it. <laughs> Maybe that's
2: why like your books are so appealing you kind of have that nerdy aspect that we all maybe sort of see in the writing you know thank you i try i try
3: (laughs) i try to embrace my nerd roots that's all you can do (laughs) let your
2: geek flag fly that's right that's all you
3: can do we are taking over the world we
2: are taking over the world 100 (laughs) um so overdrive is a library company we help you know digital ebooks for libraries we are recording this in a library Do you have any memories of going to libraries when you were little?
3: I do. Some of my best memories. I actually have a really, really clear memory. Um, I must have been, I don't know, maybe five or six. And I I loved books. I can't remember ever not loving books. Uh, And I remember going to our local library and being told that I could take books home. And not just that, but I could take as many books as I could carry. Yeah, Uh, And that you know, it just felt like these, these doors to this magical oasis opening up right before me. And I, I couldn't believe it. It's like, really? Cause, cause I will go get my wagon. Like <laughs> I will load that baby up. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was just so, so appealing and magical to think that it was just there and I could just come and take a book and no one would yell at me. It's <laughs> true. Uh, what were
2: the sort of books that you read growing up?
3: Uh, A lot of the classics, Uh, Anne of Green Gables was one of my favorites, Um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, I I read more times than I could count. Um, As I became a little bit older, I got really into fantasy, Um, you know, the Chronicles of Narnia and The Hobbit um, and all of that. Uh, and that, you know, definitely my love of fantasy has continued. Sure. Obviously. You're writing it now. Yes.
2: <laughs> um, are there any authors that sort of inspired you to become a writer or that you I don't know.
3: In? I don't recall any that, like, I really idolized as a child. Um I think just books in general. Okay. I just, I loved books. I loved reading Um, I certainly had my favorites, but I also, I always wanted to know what else was out there. Um, and then I had this just crazy overactive imagination. And even from the time that I was a small child, I was always daydreaming and and making stories up. Um, and at one point, even before I could write, um, I started telling stories to my mom and asking her to type them up for me so I could like color in the illustrations or draw my own pictures. Um, and so I was always just felt like a storyteller. And then at one point you realize like, that's a job that you can do. <laughs> like People will pay you to come up with stories. Um, and as soon as I made that connection, I knew that's, that's what I want to do.
2: Did you write as a child? Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anything good?
3: no <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure my first story ever was called rosie in the Rosebush. all right uh and it was about a little girl named rosie uh who one day like tumbled into this magical rose bush and fell down into this magical rose world uh, and as i'm saying i'm like this kind of sounds like alice in wonderland <laughs> <laughs> Look <at> um, that. <laughs> and there were like all of these little rose creatures and she got to you know play around and frolic with all the rose creatures Yeah. And I remember, like, I started coloring it in and got really sick of drawing roses. (laughs) That'll do it. Yeah. Sort of like painting the roses a little bit. And then in fifth grade, I went through this um, crazy period where I became obsessed with Shakespeare, of all things. Um, And so I took a stab at writing a comedy retelling of Macbeth. How did that go? I don't remember. I remember doing it. I remember very little about it. Um, but at one point, my cousin—I have a younger cousin—and she and I um, tried to like do put it on the show for my parents. Um, and all I can remember is that we had a Barbie doll head that we'd cut the head off. Um, you know, took off the head and then cut the hair really short because it was supposed to be a boy. Um, you know, when they come marching out with Macbeth's head on a pike. Um, and like put it on a butter knife with ketchup to be mm-hmm. the blood, and yeah, we were right. we were very into it. I see it. <laughs> Our dramatic roots. So, what do you think it is about the
2: fantasy genre that young adults, um, teenagers like so much? It's such a it's such a, a popular form of fiction.
3: Um, I I mean, I think there's lots of reasons. I think that there's really great books coming out in this genre right now. Um, there's just about every genre is included in young adults. Mm-hmm. So whatever you feel like reading, whether it's fantasy or magical realism or contemporary comedy, you know, there's something for everybody in this genre. Um, but I also think that uh, the genre as a whole, you f- there's a very optimistic vibe through it all. Um, you know, even you know, in dystopian novels or, or novels where everything is falling apart, you still tend to get this feel that um, someone is going to be able to make a difference and change that world for the better, um, that someone, of course, usually being the protagonist. Um, and there's, you know, even if the protagonists go through periods of doubt and, and struggles, um, I feel like there's there's always that, that feel that they are going to figure out the answer. They are going to be strong enough and able to overcome um, these challenges. And I think as a teenager, you, you don't really know what's going to happen in life. You maybe feel out of control a lot of times. I mean, even as an adult, I feel out of control half the time. Um, so I think so. there's something really appealing about thinking that, you know, if you can just reach down into that place inside you, you too can be uh, a revolutionary. You too can make a difference.
2: I am an adult, I'm 35 and I love your books. Thank you. And I have coworkers at the Overdrive offices who also love your books. Why do you think it's important that adults read young adult novels?
3: um uh, hmm. do you think it's important <laughs> maybe that's a better question uh you know i've really not thought about it i think that people should read any book that appeals to them um i think that reading in general makes us overall more empathetic toward people um more more willing to uh, embrace people who are different from us more willing to put ourselves into um the, the shoes of People who whose experiences we don't share as part of our daily lives. Um, so whether you're getting that from from teen fiction or children's fiction or adult fiction, um, I just think it's a really good thing for for people to know. That there are stories out there that will expand your horizons.
2: Good answer. we will go with that. (laughs) So uh, next up we have what we call the Nerd Nine, which are nine rapid-fire questions. Ooh, okay. Let me get a drink of water. (laughs) Sounds intense. Let me know when you're ready. (laughs) Okay. Okay. What is the last
3: book you finished reading? Crenshaw by Catherine Applegate, and it was amazing. I cried.
2: Oh, all right. Your favorite place to read?
3: Um, I, in our living room, I have this enormous overstuffed recliner chair. I should say it used to be my favorite place for read, and then we had children and now it's never quiet anymore. Oh. <laughs> but it's still, it's super, super cozy. Guilty pleasure? You know, I don't really feel guilty about much of anything. <laughs> That's okay. Probably, um, having cheesecake and wine from room service.
2: Yeah, that sounds, yeah, that sounds good. Um, one place you'd like to travel to that you haven't yet? Ireland. Favorite holiday? Christmas. Favorite movie?
3: Um, gosh. Uh, I know, it's supposed to be rapid fire. It's okay. You know, I haven't watched it in years, and I don't know that it's still my favorite, but for the longest, longest time, my favorite movie was Clueless. It's <laughs> good. And a retelling, see? Yeah, true.
2: Cats or Dogs? cats. Yes. So many people say dogs. Oh
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. Favorite food?
2: Favorite
3: food, peanut butter.
2: Excellent. If you could have dinner with one person, dead or alive, who would it be? Jane Austen. All right. Um, so finally, just last question, what do you hope people take away from reading Heartless?
3: I hope that everybody who reads Heartless gets a major sweet tooth. <laughs> like the best answer ever
2: (laughs) thank you so much for your time and for coming on the podcast it was great talking to you and good luck with the rest of your book tour thank you readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from overdrive.com and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace
0: As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.